the amazing music we've been blessed with this morning. Do you really need me? No, seriously, do you? Chad's not here, we don't have to say anything, right? Just kidding, you're stuck with me. Some of you have been stuck with me for quite some time. I attended the academy here, for those who don't know. And I won't lie, while I was at the academy, it was on my senior year bucket list to preach from this pulpit. For those who don't know, bucket list, things to do before you die. Senior year bucket list, things to do before you graduate. Middle schoolers and high schoolers, I encourage you to make this list sooner rather than later so you can get as much accomplished as you wish. I would tell you some more things on my list and whether they were accomplished or not, but there are teachers and faculty here that remember me from high school. So I'm going to save that for another sermon at another church. <laughs> I suppose before planning other sermons, though, I should get started with this one. In the little village of Vernoy lived a shepherd named David. David didn't want to be a shepherd, though. He was aspiring to be a poet. One day, after a quarrel with the love of his life, Yvonne, David decided to go on the road to spread his poems to the world. On his travels, he came to a fork in the road where he had to choose which path to take, to the left or to the right. Wait a minute. Does that sound familiar to any of you? That's right, Evan Knott. He told that story when he preached here. I am so sorry. I am so sorry. Don't worry. I'm sure there's something else here. Here we go. This should be good. I'd like to give a little bit of a VBS review. Since we didn't have a Sabbath dedicated to it this year, our theme was Joseph. Jared Lutz played the part and did a fantastic job. No, wait. Pastor Marilyn just did this last week. I am sorry, guys. So sorry. Oh, here's a good one. Here's a good one. There's a star out there called Beetlejuice. It is so large. It is twice the size of the sun? No. It's twice the size of Earth's orbit around the sun. In fact, if Earth were the size of a golf ball. Now, Louis Giglio did that. He beat me to it. Oh, wait. Okay, I'm sorry, guys. I'm sure there's something here. Something here. All right, here we go. Since the day we arrived on the planet, blinking, stepped into the sun, there's more to be seen than can ever be seen, more to do than can ever be... No, wait, that's Lion King. It's not even a sermon. I'm sure there's something here. Don't worry, guys. I've got some... <sighs> Hopefully you guys figured out by this point that, that was an act. Can you imagine if that was real, though? That'd be some pretty serious reason for wanting a do-over. I'm sure we've all done things that we would not mind having a do-over for. That we would write to our younger selves saying, hey, maybe do that a little differently. I won't make you raise your hands, but I'm sure there are some things that you can think of that you would not mind having a do-over for. Some things would be fairly minor, for example, dear younger me, when you and your friend Mark first discover Star Wars, it is actually not a good idea to throw tennis balls at each other trying to block them with a baseball bat to see if you could pass as Jedi. 
Spoiler alert, we could not. We were very bruised. Or perhaps, dear younger me, when you attend SALT, Student Association Leadership Training, there are two things to watch out for. First, when you're playing keep it up with a soccer ball, kicking it around, it will eventually fly past you, over the fence, and down the hill. When you volunteer to go get it, do not jump over the fence. It is old, and it will break, causing you to roll down the hill instead of running down it. Second, when you and a few friends decide to go down to the docks, stick to the canoes, stick to the things you know, because if you pick the rowboat, you will get stuck at the other side of the lake and have to have two people in a canoe tow you back. P.S. This will be the day after you wore your student association t-shirts that say, if at first you don't succeed, you're not us. Even last week, dear younger me, when you do in community, remember that you're also supposed to do the invocation after the opening hymn. If you don't, People won't know exactly when to sit down, causing a slow, awkward wave of people sitting down, starting in the back and working its way to the front. If you were here last week, I apologize. It just goes to show you don't have to be perfect when you're up here. I made that mistake last week, and I'm preaching this week. Of course, now that I've made that correlation, I think I successfully caused no one to ever volunteer for anything up front ever again. But back to the letters. So maybe those wouldn't be big enough. They wouldn't be worth writing to your younger self to avoid doing. But what would you include in yours? Would you try to make you change the decisions you made? Would you try to simply warn you about certain events to come? Maybe a little of both? Let's take a look at some potential letters from some various individuals. Dear younger me, you little brat. I'm sorry, but that's what you are. I can see it now. That's how they saw you, too. No wonder they all hated you. I'm not going to warn you about everything I've gone through, because I can now see how God used it for good. But I do want to warn you that hard times are coming. But remember to rely on God, and maybe someday your dreams will come true. Sincerely, Joseph. Dear younger me, you genocidal maniac. You don't see yourself that way, but believe me, that's what you are. Just because you wouldn't flip the kill switch doesn't mean you would stop the one who was going to. You don't get to decide who God saves and who God doesn't save. That's his job, not yours. So when God gives you a message, do what he says. Tell that message to the people he wants you to tell, no matter how much you hate those people. I guess a little of you is still around, since I just called them those people. At least you keep in touch with God throughout the whole thing. You try to lose touch at times, but he keeps holding on. Things will go a lot simpler for you if you just listen to him the first time around. Sincerely, Jonah. Dear younger me, when you meet the love of your life, don't run away from him. 
You'll know who he is the moment you meet him because he won't want to spend one night with you. He'll want to spend all his nights with you. I know that you'll think leaving is what's best. You'll think that he deserves someone better. You'll think your actions are the best way to show him that you love him too, but you'll be wrong. The best way to show him that you love him will be to stay, accept the gift that he's given you, accept his love. Even if you still leave, don't worry. He'll come back for you. Sincerely, Gomer. Dear younger us, stop before you ruin everything like we did, literally everything. You have no reason to doubt God, so don't, just don't. You can feel his breath when branches move. You can watch a sunset with him. You can feel his arms around you when he hugs you. Don't put yourselves over him or you'll lose all of that. At least you'll lose doing so physically with him. He'll still be there, but it will be harder to know he's there. Don't make it harder on yourselves or your kids or anyone else to come. The amazing thing is, he'll still love you even if you make the same mistake we did. He still loves us. But please, don't bring sin into this world. Sincerely, Adam and Eve. One more. Dear younger me, there will come a time when there will be a radical in the street. Your teachers and mentors will go to see what's going on, and you'll follow. When you get there, you'll recognize him as someone who has done this sort of thing before, but this time he is really going at it. He'll be giving a long speech, taking you through all of Israel's history, trying to prove to everyone that the Messiah had already come. Eventually, your teachers and mentors will get so enraged, they'll stone him to death, leaving you to watch their coats and watch their actions. You'll have two contrasting feelings during that time, pride and doubt. Part of you will feel pride that the ones you've looked up to are taking a stand against this heresy. But part of you will feel doubt because that crazy Christian had some good points. Please, focus on that doubt. Take that doubt and do your own research. I chose pride and it took hold of my life. I literally had to be knocked off my high horse on the road to Damascus by Jesus Christ himself to realize that Stephen was telling the truth. If you take hold of that doubt, that feeling that maybe Stephen was telling the truth then, you could start your ministry a lot sooner and save a lot more lives. Sincerely, Paul. But you know me better as Saul. Paul wrote a lot of letters, but if you ever wrote a letter like this, we don't have a record of it. Or do we? Let's see if we can find out. Turn with me to our scripture reading, Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. I believe the mnemonic device Chad uses is go eat pizza, Chad. Philippians is the pizza in there. When you get there, it'll be chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. Not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, 
but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal of, for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. <clears throat> Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. It sounds like Paul, at least at this point in his life, wouldn't write a letter to his younger self. That isn't to say that Paul would agree with Saul's choices, but it does sound like Paul truly is a different person than the man he was before. It sounds like Paul, while he knows his past actions were wrong, doesn't dwell on them. Instead, he pushes forward. Let's turn to another one of his letters, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 9 through 11. If you need help finding this one, 2 Corinthians comes right after 1 Corinthians. And when you get there, it'll be chapter 7, verses 9 through 11, if you'd like to follow along. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting, for you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. You were grieved into repenting. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. I read this and I immediately think of Charlie Brown. How he always says, one of his catchphrases, good grief. I bet he'd have a few things to write a letter to his younger self about. Don't ever trust Lucy when she holds the football for you, no matter what she says. And maybe try flying your kite somewhere else, away from the kite-eating tree. Anyways, good grief is essentially what godly grief is. The grief itself is essentially the same, but the difference between godly grief and worldly grief is how you respond to it. There's an example from the Bible to illustrate the difference, and I'll introduce it to you with a story. I was helping at a Pathfinder event when out of the blue, one of them asked me, do you think Judas will be in heaven? I was startled by the question and didn't know how to respond at first. I'd grown up being taught and assuming that the answer was no. But to see what they were thinking, I responded with, what do you think? They said, I don't know. But he seemed really sorry about it. That's why he hung himself. What do you think? 
I was so touched that this Pathfinder has such a loving heart, even for Judas. I kind of didn't want to burst their bubble, so I said, only God knows the heart. I suppose we'll find out someday whether he's there or not. When you think about it, that's all we can really say about anyone. But either way, it is clear from Scripture that Judas regretted his decision. While many believe Judas won't be, and I admit that's my leaning too, I also believe that he wasn't out of grace's grasp. And here's why. Judas was not the only disciple that betrayed Jesus that night. If I count correctly, and I think I have, the number of disciples that betrayed Jesus that night were 12. Maybe we just single Judas out because we don't like to admit that even today, disciples can betray Jesus. But Ryan, Judas was the only one that proactively betrayed Jesus. The others only reactively betrayed Jesus. It was their reaction to the events. They weren't the cause. Fair point. But I would argue there was at least one other disciple that was fairly proactive about betraying Jesus when he denied him three times. One time, all right. Maybe he was just reacting to the circumstances. But three times? You have to consciously be certain of your decision to act on it three times. Of course, we read that once the rooster crowed, Peter went away and wept. So here we have two disciples that have proactively decided to betray Jesus, and both of them run away with this guilt, with this grief, with this regret, weighing heavily on their hearts, and both are weeping. Sounds to me like they're in the same boat. Maybe you've been in that boat too. I know I've been in that boat. Maybe you're still there. Maybe someday you'll find yourself there. What do you do? Let's take a look at how those disciples reacted. Judas held on to his grief and held on to his regret, which, like 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, worldly grief produces death. Judas's death was literal, but you've all heard the phrase, it's killing me. There are things in this life that can weigh us down, keeping us from the life that God has in store. And at least to me, that's a form of death. So that's your first option. Peter took a different route. When Jesus resurrected, we know that Peter was with the disciples. When Mary Magdalene and the others told the disciples, Peter was there. In fact, he ran to the tomb. In John 21, even when he went back to fishing, he went back to his old ways, he was still with some of the disciples. And when Jesus showed up and they realized it was him, he didn't wait for the boat to reach the shore. John 21, 7 says that Peter jumped into the sea. He went to Jesus. He went to where he had seen Jesus before. He went to where he believed Jesus would be. He took his grief, he took his sorrow, he 
took his regret to Jesus. That's exactly what Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians 7.10. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Feeling grief about a mistake you made, feeling regret, isn't wrong. The reason why we feel it is because we did something wrong, but regret is designed to be a tool of salvation. What that means to me is that, like Paul writes, it's designed to lead you to repentance. It's only when we hold on to it and don't bring it to the cross that it causes problems. In other words, we aren't meant to carry grief or regret with us past the cross. That isn't to say we shouldn't learn from our mistakes, but we shouldn't carry the mistake itself with us through life. I don't know what it is you're holding on to. I know there are things that I've held on to for too long. Maybe there are things as a church, locally and globally, that we have been holding on to for too long. Whatever it is, we're not meant to keep holding on to it. I don't think it's wrong to wish you'd done something differently, but it is important to press on, move forward, like Paul said in our scripture reading. Don't dwell on the past, but learn from it and move on. So, with that in mind, what should a letter to our younger selves look like? Maybe something like this. Dear younger me, you're going to make mistakes. You live in a sinful world, so that's expected. The mistakes you make will be selfish, and you won't even realize it until you're too far in. Once you realize what you've gotten yourself into, you won't know what to do. Some friendships you won't be able to mend, but thank goodness there will be some who care enough to forgive you. Spoiler alert, God cares enough to forgive you too. He's there and ready to forgive you, so don't hold on to it. Give it to him. Take it to the cross. Take it to Jesus. Sincerely, Ryan Como. Or maybe something like the contemporary theologian Bart Millard has written a letter to his younger self. You don't recognize the name Bart Millard. Perhaps you'd recognize him better as the lead singer of Mercy Me. Dear younger me, where do I start? If I could tell you everything that I have learned so far, then you could be one step ahead of all the painful memories still running through my head. Imagine how much different things would be, dear younger me. Dear younger me. 
anger me I cannot decide Do I give some speech about how to get the most out of your life Or do I go deep and try to change The choices that you'll make is they're the choices that made me And even though I love this crazy life Sometimes I wish it was a smoother ride Dear younger me To conclude, I'll read one more potential letter to someone's younger self. I'll admit, I was a little conflicted on this one. When I read it, I think you'll see why. But I prayed about it, and I believe the words align with Scripture. Dear younger me, you've read the Scriptures. You know the prophecies. You know who you are. You also know what those point you towards. You'll want there to be another way. You even pray for it, but ultimately, you'll pray that our Father's will be done. I know that you already know this, but it's worth it. All the struggle, all the pain, all the humiliation, all the betrayals, all the sin of the world on your shoulders. You will be so tempted to use your power to stop it because you'll be tempted in all the ways that they are. But remember who you're doing it for. You're doing it for your disciples. They're worth it. You're doing it for Israel. They're worth it. You're doing it for the Gentiles. They're worth it. You're doing it for Spencerville. 
They're worth it. That cross he was on has now become a symbol of hope and forgiveness. There is forgiveness if you give it to him. So please, don't hold on to it for yourself any longer.